verses 19 through 25. You can find that on page 1873 of your pew Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it draw near to God through the open curtain that is Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, ever since COVID hit, we have seen our world drastically change right before our eyes, have we not? And this hasn't been a slow change nor a gradual process. Rather, it's been immediate and abrupt, almost forced upon us. Because of the, the fear that this virus has brought about, we, we no longer function as, in society as we once did. And because of these swift changes, COVID-19 has become a divisive issue. Divisive in, in practically all realms of our society. It has affected our government. It has affected our economy. It has affected the way we do health care. It has affected our schools. And it has affected our homes. Yes, not even Kim and I are in agreement when it comes to COVID. Um, I'm sure maybe some of your homes are like that as well. But there's, there's one other realm that this virus has also affected, and, and that is the church. Unfortunately, COVID has caused the church to become a divisive place as well. But it has done more than just cause arguments, for, for it has changed how we function as a church. It, it has changed who attends church. It has changed how we go about the church's mission. Now, not all change is bad. But, but when it comes upon us so rapidly and with such a high volume it can become overwhelming. And let's face it, COVID has changed the world more than any of us would have, would have liked. And, and the church is not immune to this change. And so the pressure that we face today, it, it can do one of two things. Either it can drive us away from God, or it can become the catalyst bringing us closer to him. And that's why I chose the passage that I did today. For in this little section of, of Hebrews, we, we are given this godly advice for those who are facing challenging and uncertain times. 
And so my hope is as we go through these verses that that we will discover the things that we as Christians can do in order to persevere through life's difficulties and dangers. Now let me just say this. My my goal today is is not to take sides. I I really don't care what you think about masks or social distancing or, or vaccines or school closings. That, that's not my purpose here. What, what I do care about is what you think about God, what you think about the future that God has for you, what you think about God's people, and what you think about your own duty as a Christian. How are you, as a, a believer in Christ, going to persevere under the circumstances that you are in? How are you as God's child going to respond to a world that has been gripped by fear? That's the question we must ask. Now before we jump in, let me give you a little context to this book that we're in. We're, 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 I'm, I'm landing a smack dab in the middle of a book entitled Hebrews. And it, it's written as a letter, but it acts more like a sermon. Um, it probably was a sermon before it was a letter. And, and this message, it was delivered to one of the earliest, earliest churches, to a congregation that would have been full of Jewish converts to the Christian faith, hence the title Hebrews. And, and, and for the first nine chapters, uh, our author, he's, he has been making this case for not leaving the faith. For not going back to Judaism and to temple worship. But the question we must ask is, is why would he have to preach on such a topic? Why was this message necessary? You see, the the, the church at that time was under heavy, heavy persecution. And being a Christian was a dangerous thing. Those who were claiming Jesus as their Lord were, were suffering socially, were suffering financially, and sometimes we're, we're even suffering physically. And yet these same people could avoid, avoid such persecution if they would just compromise in their faith and go back to Judaism, go back to that temple worship. And unfortunately, many of them were doing that very thing. And so throughout this book of Hebrews, the author has been making the case that the old ways under the old covenant were just a shadow of God's goodness. And that what Christ has to offer is the real thing. That Jesus is a more glorious temple. That Jesus is a greater high priest. And that Jesus is a better sacrifice A sacrifice that is once for all because it was sufficient to forgive you of all of your sins. In essence, Christ has has opened up the curtain just just as Jody showed us earlier in that that, that wonderful display that she, she put before us. Jesus has opened up the curtain to God's throne room, allowing us entrance in, allowing those who trust in Jesus to come before their Father. And so to go back to to temple worship is pretty much to reject Christ. To go back to those earthly priests is to deny your Savior. To go back to the blood of bulls and, and the blood of goats is to throw away the cross of Jesus and to spurn God's grace. 
To go back to Judaism is to put that curtain back in its place, cutting you off from God's throne. And yet the temptation for these people was very, very real. For their fear was great. And people thought that if they could just compromise a little bit with the truth, then they would not lose out on all that Christ has to offer as well. And so for nine plus chapters, the author of Hebrews makes it very, very plain to these folks that it doesn't work that way. Either Jesus is Lord or he is not. There is no in-between. And yet our author doesn't just tell this congregation to tough it out without giving them instruction as well. Instruction on how they might persevere under this persecution. And so when we come to this passage, that is what we find. We find these encouragements on how to live as Christians during rough times, during rough seasons. Let's, let's look at the beginning of this, where we, where we get kind of a, a preamble to these instructions. Look at verses 19 through 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. And so these first three verses is this preamble to what is about to come. It is a therefore statement for the instructions that are about to follow. And in these verses, we are reminded of, of what the author was arguing for in the, in the first nine chapters. That Jesus is better. That we can now come to God's throne through him. But not only can we come, but we can come confidently. For Jesus is the true temple. Jesus is our true high priest. And Jesus is our true sacrifice. And because he is all of those things, we have the opportunity to enter in where we could not go before. You see, this, this newfound confidence that, that we now have, it doesn't come from our own merits, from our own good deeds, but from the blood of Jesus Christ. The curtain has been torn in two by his own hands. And he is the one who is allowing us access to our Heavenly Father. And now, now that the way has been opened for us, we must be ready for his instructions. <clears throat> Thus the author gives us the lettuce of God. Not, not the lettuce that you eat, but the let us of God. What do I mean by that? I mean that, that four times the, this author will encourage and instruct us by using these words, let us. And our first lettuce comes in verse 22. Look at, this, look at this. It says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near to God. Because of all those things that, that, that we spoke of before, because the curtain has been ripped in two and, and has been opened to us by Christ, we should now draw near to God. 
Now think about that. Our, our author was writing to a people under heavy duress. A, a people who were suffering from persecution. And the first point of advice that he gives, this first let us, is to draw near to God. It's not to go buy a sword. It's not to go run and hide. It's not to put on some disguise and hide away. But to draw near to God. Here's the thing. It, it, it was drawing near to God through Jesus Christ that caused them to be in this mess in the first place. Because they were worshiping Jesus, they were being mocked. Because they were worshiping Jesus, they were being shunned. Because they were worshiping Jesus, they were being harassed and arrested. Because they were worshiping Jesus, their lives were in danger. But rather than running away from the cause of these things, this author of Hebrews encourages them to press in more, to draw near to God. But that's just it. God is the only one who can truly protect them. Do you see that? We can run to these other things. We can try to buy a sword. We can run and hide. But our true protection only comes from God. And so our author, he does not want his listeners to give in to fear, to cave to the pressure. Rather, he, he, he wants them to understand that, that, that what they had been given through Jesus Christ is so much more. Take a look at the, in the same chapter, only jump ahead to verse 32. Here the author reminds them of, of the faith that they once had. He says this, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly, publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Those better and lasting possessions come from God alone. And they are hearts that are sprinkled, cleansed, from a guilty conscience. They are bodies that are washed with pure water. They are sincere hearts in full assurance of faith. These, these things are the better and lasting possessions. Listen, if you have yet to understand that being able to come before God free from guilt and free from the stain of sin is, is better than anything that this world has to offer, if you have yet to understand that gaining Jesus Christ is worth both the hardship and the suffering, if you have yet to understand those things, then perhaps you have yet to fully understand the gospel message. Dear friends, no matter what you are going through in life, whether it's COVID or something far worse, let us draw near to God. Let us be close to him. For when we are close to him, 
than, than all the troubles of this world, including COVID, will seem to be but trivial matters. For only when you are near to God can you see things from his point of view. But that is just the first let us. Look at, look at the next one. Look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the, to the hope we profess. This is a call to stand firm, to stand firm in the confession of our faith. Now, 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 given the context to which the author was writing to this, this also would have been a very dangerous thing to do. It was because that they were holding unswervingly that they were being persecuted in the first place. And so one would think that the, that the better advice to give would be the opposite. Uh, just just hold, hold lightly to the confession. For if you have a, a loose grip, then, then you'll be able to let go when trouble starts. That's not what is suggested by our author. Instead, he tells us that we are to hold unswervingly. That means don't veer to the left and don't veer to the, le- veer to the right. Rather, stay true to the truth, the truth that has brought you this hope. But why? Why remain firm? Because he who promised is faithful. In other words, Jesus, this one who offers to you life eternal, will be true to his words. Again, this is all a matter of perspective, is it not? Do do you view your eternal life with God as more valuable, as, as more precious than the ease of your suffering now? Do you trust in this this one who died for your sins, even though there are dangers all about you? Do you believe that he will be there for you in the midst of your suffering, bringing you both joy and contentment? A joy and contentment that is not dependent upon your experiences, experiences in this life. Do you trust in your Savior? He is faithful. But it goes beyond that, does it not? For holding unswervingly to the hope we profess is also a matter of the truth. It is about living in the truth. Listen, it is, it is one thing to believe in something because it will bring about a desired outcome for you. But if that belief isn't in line with the truth, then it simply becomes faith in a lie for the sake of self-gain. And yet we know the truth. We know that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose from the dead three days later and that he is the only one who deserves our loyalty. He is the only one who, who deserves our worship. He is king. He is Lord and so, and so to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess means living in the truth and not living in a lie. And yet there's even another thing that this second lettuce will do for us. 
For when we become solid in our confession, when we hold firm to the faith, then that confession will shape us. It will, it will mold us into men and women who are able to persevere. For Christ will, will strengthen us by giving us the conviction that we need. A conviction that will allow you to endure and even flourish under intense pressure. This then leads us to the next let us statement. Look at, look at verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Those who hold unswervingly to the faith we profess will ultimately be led into the path that Jesus tread, to the path of love and good deeds. When we look in the book of Acts and see how the, the early church dealt with persecution, what we see happening was not a people who would retaliate with a kind of tit-for-tat mentality. Rather, we saw people that would return the evil that was done to them with kindness and a gospel-minded love. Consider the, the events that happened early on to the church in Jerusalem when persecution first broke out. The apostles had been both arrested and flogged. They were commanded, do not preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And then shortly after, what happened? Stephen. Stephen preached in the name of Jesus. And what happened to him? He was stoned to death. Stoned to death for preaching that name. And then men and women were being dragged from their homes and put into prisons. And the rest of the church was being scattered. This was not a time for the faint of heart. But even with all of this going on, the church continued to reach out with love and good deeds. Look, look at Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. You see, rather than giving up in the face of trouble, men like Philip were spurred on to love their neighbors by preaching Christ to them. And it was through that good news of Jesus Christ that demons were cast out and cripples were healed. And all because Philip didn't let his fears sidetrack him. Sidetrack him from performing these good deeds in the name of Christ. He risked his own life for the sake of the lost. And now the question that we must ask today is how can we, as Christ's church, love our neighbors in the midst of COVID? What risks are we willing to take to bring this good news to the lost around us? Does COVID make our job that much harder? Absolutely. But we shouldn't use it as an excuse to do nothing. 
Listen, the world needs Jesus just as much today as it did yesterday. And if we say that we can't do this, that we can't bring the gospel to lost souls around us until things become safer, then we have undermined the message itself. For when we do that, what we are subtly communicating is that security in this life is more important than security in the next. Brothers, sisters, the gospel says no. Jesus has conquered death. And so we should not fear death. We shouldn't let that fear overtake us. Rather, we should spur one another on toward love and good deeds. But how are we to do that? How are we to encourage one another toward love and good deeds unless we are willing to follow this last lettuce of God? Look at, look at verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us not give up meeting together. If you think of, if you think that gathering together under a COVID world, if you think that is dangerous, imagine what it would have been like for that early church who suffered under this heavy, heavy persecution. I mean, every time they met, they were taking a risk. And one would think that the advice that our author would give would be to take a break. Just, just pause for a moment until things die down a bit. Until things become safe. But that's not what he said. Rather, he said, let us not give up. Let us be bold and let us meet together. You see, even in the early church, there were those who, who neglected the family of God. And the reason they did so really didn't seem all that unreasonable. They didn't want to be persecuted. They didn't want to be harassed. They, they didn't want to be tossed from their homes. They didn't want to be imprisoned. And they didn't want to die. And to my logical mind, it, it makes sense. And yet the lettuce in this passage tells us to do the opposite. Let us meet together, no matter the cost. But let me just say this, what, what this early church went through wasn't unique to their generation. Throughout church history, it, it's not uncommon to find believers in Christ being oppressed. Even today, you have brothers and sisters in the Lord who, who gather regularly, though they risk imprisonment and bodily harm. Go to places like China or North Korea and you will find such believers. Go to countries like Afghanistan or Libya and you will discover brave men and women. You will discover disciples of Jesus who understand the importance of, of coming together. They see the value of the body of Christ and how we need one another. But why is it important? Why is the gathering so crucial? Well, for one... If you don't gather, then how are you going to draw near to God? 
For it is in the gathering that we experience God's presence through our worship together and through our fellowship with one another. Two, if you don't gather, then how are you going to hold unswervingly to the hope you profess? For, for it is when we gather that we can strengthen our faith through the preaching of the word, through the hymns that we sing, through our study together as we go through the scriptures. Three, if you don't gather, then how are you going to spur one another on toward love and good deeds? For it is when we gather that we can encourage one another to be on task, to remain in God's mission. But there is one more reason that we must continue to gather together, even in the midst of hardship. And that reason is our witness. For our willingness to meet together speaks volumes to a world that has been captured by fear. For when those who fear death see those who are not afraid to die, then they are faced to ask the question, why? Why are these people willing to take risks for Jesus? What is so great about this Christ that they will worship him? And that, they are not only, that they're not only willing to gather together, but they're eager to gather together. Even though they know that, they, that that might create some hardship. And our answer to them should be this. Because we have a Savior who has conquered death. We have a hope that goes beyond this life. We do not live in fear because the victory has already been won for us. Now, I want to take a moment to speak to those of you who are watching online. Not, not to our shut-ins. Not, not to those who physically can't come here. Not to those of you who are snowed in. I get that. But to those who have been watching online for months upon months upon months and yet have not come back to church, even though you are physically capable of it. I want you to consider this passage. I want you to consider all the let us statements that we have gone through. And then ask yourself, why? Why am I not going back to church? Are you letting your fear drive your decision? Do you not find Jesus and his family worth the risk? Let me put it bluntly. When you give up meeting together, what you are essentially doing is defying your Lord Jesus Christ, who has commanded us to gather. What, what you're basically saying to God is this, I can do this on my own. I, I can be that Lone Ranger Christian. And listen, I, I, I get it. The, the world has been telling you to be afraid. It has been telling you to hide away and, 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 to, and to be safe because the world is not safe. But here's a dirty little secret that, that they don't want you to know. The world has never been safe. And it never will be until Christ returns. There will always be danger. But in the midst of such danger, Christ does not call us to live in fear. Rather, he calls us to live in with one another.
Yes, we, we don't know what tomorrow may bring. But because of Jesus, we can have certainty. Certainty that even if we die, even if we take our last breath, we know that our deaths are not permanent. For the day is coming when Christ will return. And those who are faithful to him, those who stand firm, will be rewarded. Look at, look at Hebrews 10, verses 35 through 39. Our author says this. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Dear friends, when the world is telling you to live in fear, Christ is telling you to live. So let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us pray. Father, we come before you boldly knowing that the curtain has been opened for us through your Son. And we ask you to give us the strength to obey the instructions that we have heard today. Help us to draw near to you. Help us to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Help us to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And help us to not give up meeting together. We can only do this with your strength, with the power of the of your Holy Spirit. So we ask now that you would change us from within in order that we, as your children, might persevere. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.